Verse 6, so Saul, notice, heeded the voice of Jonathan. This word heeded is the, the Hebrew word shema, which we know is listening with the intention of being obedient to it. And notice the, the, the thing that Saul says. He says, as the Lord lives. Now he swore. Saul made an oath here in front of his son. And he says, as the Lord lives. So he brings the Lord into this in his oath. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. In our lesson today, we see that as Jonathan witnessed his father's rage, he tried reminding him of David's past accomplishments and how he had rejoiced as everyone else did. But instead, Jonathan told him that Satan had filled his mind with envy and jealousy, and because of this, his jealousy turned to resentment towards David. Showing his father the truth took a lot of courage as Jonathan delivered a much-needed word of correction. By his love and support for his good friend, Jonathan performed the duty of a true friend and a courageous man. Now let's follow along with Pastor Rob. Fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David, very comfortable with a rod and staff. And he's saying, Lord, your rod and your staff, you are the one who comforts me. You're the one who takes care of me. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice not death itself, just the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. So let me ask you, where is your secret place? Who is your secret place? Pray that you find that it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one you can go to. You can go to him. Where do you go? In Proverbs 18, the name of the Lord is what? A strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. He's a strong tower. He is the secret place. He is the secret place. I love what David said in Psalm 56, verse 3. Whenever I'm afraid, what? I will trust in myself. No, he says, I will trust in you. Whenever I'm afraid, I'm going to trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will, I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Jesus said, fear him who, who, who not only can put to death physically, but can also cast the soul into hell. So David's saying, why should I fear what flesh can do to me? I know where I'm going. An Old Testament saint knew, had an assurance of salvation, and yet Jesus Christ hadn't even come in the flesh yet. David had an assurance in, in the Lord. He knew of his grace, his salvation, in fact, it would be through him that Jesus Christ would come in the flesh. 
In Psalm 32, he says, You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. In Psalm 9, verse 9, the Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For the Lord, for you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And you guess what? Folks, whatever you're going through, as David's going through his difficulties and and being hunted, you know, none of us have really never been hunted before. I don't know if anybody's been hunted, but he was hunted for 15 years. That's quite, a, that's quite a, a thing to have going against you. And yet David came to that place where, Lord, you're the one who sustains me. And I'm seeking you, and I know you're going to deliver me. And God was faithful, as he will be faithful to you as well. Has he been faithful to you? Can you trust him for the future? You can. You can trust him. Because he is almighty God. And he loves you with an everlasting love. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you, even to the end of the age. Do you know how much he loves you? You know, that's a great thing to know, to know the love of God, to have the peace of God, and then to have peace with God. Actually, it's the other way around. We have peace with God, therefore we can have the peace of God. And who was it that secured that peace? Jesus who became our sin and died on the cross. Notice back in verse 3 in our text, notice, and Jonathan said, And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you, and then whatever I observe, I will tell you. And you see, friends don't keep secrets from one another. Good friends don't. Good friends, a good friend is someone you can confide in. And happy is the person who finds a really good friend, who they can trust with anything. It's very unusual these days and very rare, I think, as time goes on because the hearts of people are getting more weird as time goes on. But to have a faithful friend, to have someone that you can go to and share your deepest thoughts, knowing that they won't betray you. You can share your deepest things, the things that happen to you that are very intimate and deep, and to know that it's safe with them. They, they hold it like a, like a treasure chest within them. They, they would rather die than to, to betray that trust. Of course, Jesus is one of those. He's the only one who's trustworthy. But David and Jonathan had such a pact. They had such a a conviction with one another. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And Saul, uh, Jonathan was one of those men. And thus Jonathan, verse 4, spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin, sin against his servant, against David, because he's not sinned against you, and because his works have been very good toward you. He's been very good to you, Saul. Why are you seeking to kill him? Now, now it's, it, there's no veil at all. He's just like, I just want to kill him. I want to get the job done. And I don't believe that it was David's works that bothered Saul so much, because they were irrefutable. The things that David was doing was amazing. Everybody was applauding it. But it was the fact that Saul didn't have the same character and the same worship, the same devotion that David did. That's what ate him up on the inside. That's what drove him mad. Certainly the works bothered him because he didn't have what David had. He didn't have the faith. He didn't have the guts. 
He didn't have the inner stuff that David had. And any, any king or employer would have been grateful to have a King David in his army, in his administration, in his, as, a, as an employee. Very rare. Verse 5, it says, For he took his life into his own hands, and he killed the Philistine, Dad. That's what Jonathan's saying to Saul. And the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all Israel. You saw it, Saul. You saw it, and you rejoice. Why then will you sin against innocent blood to kill David without a cause? Without a cause. I love it that Saul and all the men of Israel, they had great occasion, the great privilege of seeing David's faith on display as he went against Goliath. His faith was on display. It wasn't his skills so much as it was his faith on display. I love what it says in James 2, verse 14. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? We know that we are saved by faith alone, faith in God. But but James would go on and he said, But faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, and then he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And so his argument is, show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. There's a difference with David. David had faith, but it wasn't until he went out in faith against Goliath that his faith became manifest. Because we can talk all we want But until it demonstrates itself in some kind of action, it's just words, isn't it? And again, our works don't save us. They really kind of validate what we really believe on the inside. Because if I really don't believe it, I'm not going to go out and do it. But if I really believe it, then I will do something. It's like hearing somebody being in a courtroom and you saw somebody murder somebody and then somebody tells you, tell the jury that you really didn't see it. How can you lie when you saw it with your very own eyes? It would go against everything within you unless you're paid a high sum of money and then many people, you know, all of a sudden have amnesia. But David's faith was on display. In Psalm 40, I love this, it's a psalm of David He says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. And here it is. He, God, has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Notice what he says. Very interesting. Many will see it. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Notice he didn't say many will hear it, but many will see it. There's a difference. Because the faith had action. People are going to see the worship. They're going to see what I believe inside, and they're going to see it in action. And that's how you know that somebody really believes it. I can talk a good game, but if if there's not an adding up of my life, then it's all just words. Talk is cheap, right? That's the old saying, talk is cheap. People talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And see, in Christianity, we need to walk the walk. We can't just talk about it. Anybody can do that, but we need to put feet on the things that we believe. If we really believe the Bible, then we're going to stand up and we're not going to take things. We're going to be, perhaps, at the town hall, talking to those who want to pass ungodly measures. 
And it's certainly going to affect us in the voting booth, isn't it? Do you believe what the Bible says about abortion? Then you need to pray about that. Because that's shown in the ballot box. Right? Is, is it true? It ought to be. Our worship should be not be just about words. There's a song called Live to Tell by a rock group, a Christian rock group called Jeff Moore in the Distance. And one of the lines in the songs, in the song called Live to Tell, it says, A love that is seen means much more than love that's just heard. And I, I love that song because love is demonstrable. I can say I love my wife, but if I don't show it in practical ways, she has every reason to think, I don't think he really loves me. He never wants to be around me. He doesn't speak to me at all. He comes home and, you know. But love is de- demonstrated, isn't it? It's a decision. It's, a, it's an act of the will. Verse 6, so Saul, notice, heeded the voice of Jonathan. This word heeded is the, the Hebrew word shema, which we know is listening with the intention of being obedient to it. And notice the, the, the thing that Saul says. He says, as the Lord lives. Now, he swore. Saul made an oath here in front of his son. And he says, as the Lord lives. So he brings the Lord into this in his oath. As the Lord lives, he shall not be killed. And was Saul faithful to that oath? Now he's an oath breaker. Because we know he's already tried to kill David once. He tried to kill him several times, sending him out into battle. We'll see in verse 9 that he's going to try and kill him again with the same spear. Again, I said this last week, but if I was David standing before the Lord with my guitar, I'd be keeping one eye on him and one eye on my guitar. My eyeball would be like down there and one on him. Because how can you trust a man who's already shown himself to be shady and corrupt and volatile? Volatile. Verse 7, then Jonathan called David, and Jonathan told him all these things. What a, what a great friend. Risking his life doing so. So Jonathan brought David again to Saul, and he was in, this, in his presence as at other times. And there was war again, and then David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow, and they fled from him. So here again is just another, another arrow in the side of Saul's anger and hatred and jealousy. He just can't stand the fact that this kid is so successful in the battlefield. And not only that, but he's an excellent musician. He can play the guitar. All the women love him. You can, you can see how this is going to be a problem for Saul. The men adored him. They were glad to serve under him. So now, verse 9, the distressing spirit from the Lord... It's kind of unnerving if you think about it that God would send a distressing spirit. A couple chapters ago, it says that God removed his spirit, his Holy Spirit, from Saul. But a distressing spirit from the Lord came to him. The Lord knows what he's doing. And it's not uncommon for us. I mean, just look at Job chapter 1. And look at Job chapter 2. You don't have to go there now, but just make a note of that. Just read the first couple of verses of those two chapters, and you'll see 
that evil spirits are not freelance. They're not freelancers. They, they can't just go out at their own will. They have to go. They have to be sent. They're not just able to go wherever they want to go, whenever they want to go, and however they want to go. They have to go before the throne of God. And their heart is always destruction. Just understand that. All they want to do is destroy. So all God has to do is allow them to go. And God knows the end. He knows he has a purpose, and even in this, he has a purpose. So the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. And then Saul sought to pin David with the spear, but he slipped away from Saul's presence. And he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul is a a pretty good illustration of a backslidden believer. Somebody who's just backslidden in rebellion against God. And you know what? Gravity is always working against us as believers. Saul was going backward. He, he was either in neutral, which if you're in neutral, folks, do you understand? You, you, as you serve the Lord, as you have this relationship with him, you can't just be in neutral. You have to be going forward. You have to be actively pursuing it like you would in a marriage. You can't just kind of go on autopilot. You can't go in neutral and expect things to go better. It always goes worse when you're neutral. And God help you if you're actually trying to do something and you're actually backsliding on purpose. But just being in neutral, you're going to slide. Gravity will always be against you. It'll always take you in the reverse direction. Do you understand? That's why it's so important. That's why we are always talking about being the Word of God, be in prayer, be in fellowship. This is how we get built up. This is how we get fuel. You know, And, and it's certainly in your own times as you spend time with the Lord every day. It's not just here, but this is a good place for us to gather together, to worship, to, to be instructed in the Word. And then your own personal private times, you take that and you go out and it changes your life. It ought to. That's going forward. If you're not doing those things, you may be just in neutral. And then maybe you're wondering why you don't feel the presence of the Lord as much as you do. And again, no legalism here. No legalism But if I search for the Lord, if I seek him with all of my heart, it's so important. I I benefit by seeking the Lord. Do you not also benefit from seeking the Lord? And if I don't seek the Lord, what happens? I get stale and crusty and I get moldy. I become like the Dead Sea. I'm not even receiving anything from him and certainly nothing's going out. You want to be like the Galilee, where you're getting stuff from above, nutrients, water from above, and you're also giving out below. That's what, uh, those two bodies of water are such a wonderful illustration of a healthy believer and an unhealthy believer. There is no neutral. If you're neutral, you're going backwards. And that's where Saul was. He was thinking that he was a neutral. He was going in reverse. So Michal, notice, I'm sorry, excuse me, verse 11. Saul also sent messengers to David's house to watch him, notice, and to kill him in the morning. So now he's got these guys out in the escalades, out in front of his house, parked down the street with all the, everything turned off, and they're just kind of sitting there in the shadows underneath the trees. They're watching. They got surveillance on the house. 
maybe a sniper on the roof. There's little red dots all over David's houses on, on, his, on his window as he, drives, as he walks by to go from one room to the next. You know, you see a little red dot. Saul's henchman at work. And Michal, David's wife, told him, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, David, tomorrow you will be killed. And it says that she loved David. She loved David. She was conflicted herself like her father. We'll see that. But notice Michal, she let David down through a window, and he went and fled and escaped. And, you know, there are a couple other times, and I'll just mention the verses to you, but there's other times in the Bible where somebody escaped through a window as well. You know, we see it when... um, The two spies went into Jericho, and remember, they stayed with Rahab. And because they had been found out, their cover had been blown, so to speak. What did Rahab do? She let him down by a rope on the outside wall of Jericho, because that's where she lived. And that's how they escaped. Or you remember, in, um, uh, and that was in Joshua chapter 2, verse 15, but we also know in Acts chapter 9, after Saul's conversion, not Saul of, we're talking Saul of Tarsus now in the New Testament, that after his conversion, he went to Damascus where, remember, Ananias laid his hands on him and his sight was restored and he taught in their synagogues and, and stirred things up quite a bit, so much so that they had to deliver him, put him in a basket and deliver him down the side of the wall of the city at night. And so David now is being led out by a rope as well by night. Pretty embarrassing And notice what Michal did. She took an image, laid it in the bed, put a cover of goat's hair on his head, and covered it with clothes. This is this image uh, is actually a teraphim. It's a it's a it's a household idol. What what was it doing in David's house to begin with? We know that David wasn't a idol worshiper, and whatever this teraphim was, you know they have small ones that they've uncovered in archaeological digs, and there's also big ones. And she had a big one, evidently. Maybe she privately was doing things she ought not to, bowing down to an idol. But David was not of that ilk, of course. David was a worshiper of Jehovah. But she puts this image, this teraphim, literally that's what it is. She laid it in the bed and put goat's hair up by the top and covered it up, making it look like somebody was in the bed. And so when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. So now she's lying. She let David out the window, but now she's saying he is sick. Then Saul sent messengers back to see David, saying, Bring him up in the bed that I may kill him. You know, forget about just bringing him. Take the bed, take the, the, the blanket or whatever, the cot or whatever it is that he's sleeping on, grab the whole thing up, wrap him up like a burrito, and bring him back, and I'm just going to kill him. I'm just going to kill him. Don't even bother having him get up. Just... Bring him on his bed. Just lift him up, roll him up, take him, bring him, and I'll kill him. And when the messengers, verse 16, had come in, there was the image in the bed with the cover of goat's hair for his head. And then Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and sent my enemy away so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, and she said, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? Did David say that? Does that sound like the character in the heart of David? No, so she's lying again, isn't she? And she has good reason. In the flesh, I can understand why she's lying to her dad, the king. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.